path last week, uh, setting that, that's foundational for this week, right? It was, we saw uh, Naomi told her daughter-in-law, Boaz, a uh, uh, roof to go to Boaz in the middle of the night. And we uh, kind of mentioned last week that if you really look at it, there's a lot of things that could have gone wrong badly, right? So you cannot look at roof three to say, this is how you go about a relationship courtship. Say, hey, Jimmy, you teach all about boundaries. Uh, I don't believe in it. I should do whatever I want in the middle of the night, whatever. But as we see, especially even next week, we'll see uh, even in light of this, Boaz, in this unideal way of relationship, he still pursues what? He's not into hyper-privacy. In fact, he's going to go and bring it up to other and yet protect all this, okay? So as we look at this, I realize sometimes when people end up in a relationship or pursuing marriage, it might not be as ideal. You might not say, okay, hey, Son and daughter, this is how you pursue my example. We, I realize sometimes it's far from ideal, okay? But in, the, in light of this also as well, I think we're going to see that even when things are far from ideal in terms of pursuing relationship, we want to see godly characteristics, virtues, still act out even in far from ideal situation. One of the things, I, I love the English word virtue. I love the English virt- word virtue because it speaks about godly characteristics, Yes? But sometimes we think, okay, sometimes I think in our life we think, oh, we're only godly, only if my situation allow for it. Do we not often feel that way? How we often know this is we know that we're supposed to be godly no matter what the situation is. Yes? Yeah. True or not? And sometimes, but then sometimes we could blame ourselves, or sometimes we could be like, okay, the reason why I did not do X, Y, or Z, the reason why I'm ungodly in a form of A, B, or C is because of my circumstance. Mm. But you know what the reality of virtue, of Christian virtue is this. Despite your circumstance, despite your circumstance, despite what your situation and environment is, you still act what? Godly. Does that make yes. sense? So I love this situation because this is far from the ideal way of pursuing marriage. In that time period, so you can't look at this and say, oh, the Bible, God's word says, oh, you must go. Uh, if you want to get married to someone, go sneak in in the middle of the night to someone's house. Open the window and uncover his feet and just wait there. That'll be, this is not dating advice, okay? This is far from ideal, but we're going to see Boaz's response, I think, shows incredible godliness. Mm. That this is far from ideal of a situation of getting married. Because the way, I think, I think the biblical way, if, if we were Naomi's pastor, the way we would say, okay, you want your daughter to be married is what? Not tell your daughter to go do all this crazy plan. And by the way, remember we talked about all the windows back then, right? Uh, going to the threshing floor back then was what prostitutes do. Okay, think about the situation. It's almost like going to truck drivers, okay, parked in Bakersfield and all these women of ill repute going over because men are away from their wives, lonely men or whatever else, and going that, that and you're saying, hey, dress your best. And remember, we saw all the in the window, the risk that's involved. And it was not necessarily rational, but yet God still, in spite of that, notice here, Boaz, we talked about last week, interpreted properly. He didn't say, oh, you're a woman of ill repute. He interpreted properly. And now we're going to see three more characteristics. We're going to see three characteristics of a godly person, even in a difficult relationship situation of, of courtship, of desire and marriage. We're going to see three characteristics that you and I, all of us, are supposed to have. Listen, if you're single, this applies for you. If you're in courtship, this applies for you. And even if you're married, these are godly virtues that should show. Remember how I mentioned earlier? Virtues are godly characteristics. Despite your environment, you're still being acting this way, okay? If you're in marriage, you should still have these godly characteristics towards your spouse also as well. These are the three characteristics. How many characteristics? Three. 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 First one is the characteristics of someone that's godly in courtship or marriage is number one, you desire to bless the other person. Bless the other person. If you're writing that note, bless the other person. That's found in verses 10, okay? Point number one is what again? Desire to bless the other person, okay? Uh, that's in verses 10, okay? Verses 11. You comfort the other person. You comfort the other person. Verses 11, first half, okay? Verses 11, first half, okay? By the way, uh, last week I know if you were taking notes, you would say, oh, how can we already cover 10 and 11? But we looked at 10 and 11 last time was really to see, uh, interpret the other person graciously. But there's still so much more there, Okay? So point number two is comfort the other person. Point, uh, point number three is based upon verse 12. Beware there will be pers- obstacles in pursuit of marriage. Beware there will be obstacles in pursuit of what? Marriage, okay? Beware there will be obstacles in pursuit of marriage. So 10, 11, and 12 are these three characteristics, okay? These three characteristics of who we are to be, okay? That we are supposed to have the, whatever stations of life. Single with no relationship, in courtship, that is in a relationship 
in pursuit of marriage, and also even if you're married, okay? Uh, so let's look at, and remember, just review again. Last week, we've looked at how we need to be aware of the risk of foolishness in pursuit of marriage. That's in verse 1 to 4. We looked at it, uh, I think, when we narrative, I think, speak, uh, knowing all the background, knowing scripture. You know, uh, Naomi's plan was not the most wisest, okay? So we need to be aware of foolishness. Number two is we need to be aware of the risk of rejection uh, last time. And last time we also saw we must interpret the other person graciously. We're now looking at the part of how he's interpreting graciously, but yet, in light of all this, you see Boaz's character, okay? Boaz's character. So let's look at point number one for today. Uh, point number one for today is going to be, uh, point number one today is you uh, must bless the other person. Let me read again verse 10. Then he, that is Boaz, said, May you be blessed, the Lord, my daughter. You have shown your last kindness to be better than the first by not going after young men, whether rich or poor. Last week, we've looked at the second half of verse 10 about, uh, we've explained the whole thing, like what's the last kindness, what's the first kindness. We mentioned that um, Ruth's desire, I think a primary motivation to marry this man is to make sure that there's stability for a mother-in-law. Okay? Now for us, we think like, oh, that, that, that kind of maybe shock our sensibility because we live in a day and age where we're so individualistic. Yes? Okay? Uh, even like I mentioned uh, in the beginning uh, of, uh, uh, during our service today, I mentioned I was talking to one country in Asia and then the person was asking me, have I arranged any more relationship? And I was like, oh, well, then it was just like, what, what do you relate, arrange? What are you talking? Then I realized, oh, there's a different culture. Okay? It's a different culture. Okay, so in reading this, we see that, but now we see point number one is bless the other person. Okay, uh, bless the other person. Looking at verses 10, notice what the first words he said is what? May you be blessed of the Lord. Let's say this together. May you be, May you be blessed of the Lord, of the my, daughter. my daughter. This is a phrase we're going to be focusing on. Okay, the word blessed is actually nuance in Hebrew. That is, it's moved forward, even though it's object, okay? Um, Hebrew, why they do that is because now today when we sometimes highlight, when we want to emphasize a certain word, what do we do? In our printer or, or in our Word document, what do we do? We put it in bold, we underline, italics, change fonts, get a marker, circle it, all of that, okay? But in Hebrew back then, they didn't do things that way. What they do to say the word is emphasized is when they speak, they put that in forward, even though it's an object, Okay? Uh, they put that word for. That's a way of almost the exclamation mark. So the emphasis here is blessed. Okay, he's putting the word basically, literally in the Hebrew, where in English we just said, "May you be blessed." He's literally saying is this: "Blessed, blessed you may be." Okay. Boaz says the source of this is of the Lord. Okay, and I love how this is. This story could get really dark real quick. We mentioned last week that when you, if you're a Jewish person reading this story. Okay, um, you might say, okay, let's build a wall separating between Moab and this because they're enemies, okay? The other thing is also, remember how Moab formed about? Was out of Lot's daughter taking advantage of Lot. You could read this narrative that says, uh-oh. If you're reading for the first time, say, uh-oh, here we go again. History repeats itself. See, well, look what it's doing. Here's a person that has just drank something. In the middle of the night, she's coming over and taking advantage of him. But she does not. And the moment came, she just says, put your wings over me. I want to marry you, not to pursue illicit thing. And notice right away, what does he says here? He first thing he says is, blessed may you be. And he keeps it God's, and it could get so dark in the story real quick. You can see, there's no one talking about God, but the first person talking about God in the middle of the narc is Boaz. He brings not just blessing, but he's just, just say, oh, bless you. Like, you know how when people sneeze, we just say, bless you, just to say it. But he says what? Yahweh. God's personal name, the Hebrew name of God, right? Uh, to make it, even though he's talking to someone that is what? Of Moab descendant. He's focused on God. And he's focusing on God in the Hebrew is actually, uh, is indicating the source of blessing that he wishes for uh, Ruth is actually from God. By the way, I think he's sincere because it goes on and says, my daughter, okay? If you actually look at Ruth 2, if you ever go to bywaygateway.com, type in Ruth 3, and you press control F, my daughter, you see, whoa, the word my daughter appears so many times in this. It's a term of endearment. Not that she's literally his daughter. 
It might speak that he must be an older guy, also as well to say my daughter, okay? But it speaks a, dear, a term of endearment, and I think he, when he blesses her, is he's very sincere. He really wants her to experience the blessing of God. Now, when you look at this phrase, may you be blessed of the Lord, you might say, well, there's nothing unusual. Because we could come to church on Sunday and say, God bless you, right? Someone sneezes, God bless you. And then we don't even remember what we say. But remember the context. What makes this phrase very unusual is this. Don't forget what's going on here. Why I find Boaz's wish for blessing upon Ruth amazing is the context. Number one, remember, he has just been wakened in the middle of the night. His sleep was interrupted. How many of you guys are in a really good mood if you've been uh, interrupted in the middle of the night? Who here? Raise your hand. If you're, you're just, as soon as you get interrupted in the middle of the night, you're like, all right, you praise the Lord, right? Uh, how many of us are like this? Or how many of us are on the other side? We're like, we're interrupted. What happened? Oh, oh right there. Okay. Um, okay, that, but that's different. But if somebody wakes you up in the middle of the night, okay? Mm-hmm. Apparently, apparently I preach in the middle of the night, okay? Could you imagine? A preacher's wife is not an easy job. The other thing is that sometimes I'm preaching it, and I don't even know what I preach, okay? Uh, so imagine that, right? In the middle of the night, it's like, snap finger. It's like, whoa, what's going on, okay? No, no one is happy, okay? Being interrupted. Here is a Boaz being interrupted in the middle of the night, and the first thing he says is what? Blessed you are of God, my daughter. Secondly, he's not just only woken up, but when he asks, when he's woken up, Ruth is asking him to do something. How many of us would like our boss to wake us up in the middle of the night and say, hey, you have to do this? You would say, man, what are you treating me? You're treating me like a slave. But you know what's ironic? is Boaz and Ruth, what is their relationship? Who's higher and who's lower in the social hierarchy back then. She Remember earlier in Ruth chapter 2, she says, I'm your slave. And she used the Hebrew word, the lowest form of female slave. She's saying, this is who I am. Okay? Not your house slave, but the ones working in the field. She's using that term. And now, you're being woken up by someone that's working under you, so to speak, and asking you to do something. How many of us would be really happy? Whether you're the boss or you're the worker, none of us will be happy to be woken in the middle of the night. Okay? Ding, email, or text saying, hey, do something right now. Okay? And by the way, it's being told to do something that he can't do anything right then and there. Say, hey, could you marry me? <laughs> right? People don't marry like that then and there. Okay? No one back then at that mo- in that culture, there's no Vegas you drive to and get a, a, get a, 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 a wedding just that same day. Wedding chapel, drive-through chapel. Okay? It doesn't work that way. You could easily say, how come you don't wait until the morning? And even then, everything, even if you wanted to marry her, it has to wait until the next morning as you see the narrative goes on. So he sees all these dis- difficult situations. And he's asked to make a big decision to marry. Which, by the way, women back then don't go up to men and say, drop the knees and say, will you marry me, okay? That doesn't work that way. Everything is just, the story is just so awkwardly weird according to the social custom of the day. And the first thing he does is say, what? God bless you. Yahweh bless you. Actually, he didn't even say that. He literally said, blessed you are of Yahweh. He blesses her despite this awkward situation. That speaks to us, doesn't it? Does it not about his character? Sometimes we could say, oh, I'll serve God, but it's according to my time. I'll serve others. But why is this person right then and there wanting my help so immediately? And then we feel like, man, this person wants just to use me. Now, I feel that way at times, if I could be honest. Desperate people is very hard to deal with sometimes. They, they're not going to be able to gauge things well. Otherwise, I think part of it is sometimes there's some aspect they can't see things properly. But if there's an application of this, is this. We must bless the other person, even if they're difficult, even if the situation is difficult. I want to talk about in the context of courtship. That is, what I mean by courtship is in the relationship that's heading towards marriage or or wondering if this is the one for marriage. Part of being in courtship that pleases God is that you seek God's blessing upon that individual you desire to marry. Okay? You desire that. It is not just selfishness. Okay? I know in, in so much times in the American dream, in, in the West, we could see this, that the idea of relationship is for my happiness first. But we see, biblically speaking, even in the beginning here, it is not about selfishness. It is not about self-happiness first. We saw this in the story of Ruth, why she's pursuing the relationship. 
why she wants to pursue marriage is not about her first. It's securing something for her mother-in-law. That's something that Boaz recognized in the story. And we'll see that even develop even more. And that's consistent with the rest of the character. Even with Boaz here, as awkward of a situation he's put in, he's woken in the middle of the night, he's sleeping, he's had a hard day of work and late night work, he's working overtime, he's the owner of the field and he's working his own field. What a man of character. And yet, in spite of all of this, even though he still has plenty enough to say, yeah, I'm going to still bless you. So do you desire with this to bless the other person more than your own self? Okay? More than your own self. Some of you guys know that I blog, right? Some of you guys know that I blog, so there's nothing a secret. Um, but even as I'm just, the way I blog is originally, it was just, okay, whatever I use for sermon, I could, uh, don't waste your sermon, right? Put it out in a different venue. Put it on sermon audio, more people listen. Put it on, okay, make it into a blog format. Put it, it's just, you know, you only live once, so you might as well, whatever ministry, all that hours, just might as well bless that. But if you've actually been reading my blog recently, you'll probably see people coming about the marriage problems also as well. It's like, whoa. You know, just kind of awkward, right? It's public, and yet with that. If I could just say with that also as well, a big part of that, when I, the more I'm learning is also what? Getting married for your own happiness first is not going to make the relationship work. It's one of those things, I think in life, if you pay, pursue God first, you have God, and sometimes other things follow. Not always, sometimes other blessings follow. But then if you pursue happiness first, you don't have God. Because it's about yourself first. And also, what? Happiness is something that's so elusive. Okay? So here, uh, ask yourself with this. Are you, your life, generally trying to be self-centered first or be a blessing to others? Notice Boaz, right? He is blessing others in far from, he's already given so much to her. And yet he continued to bless her. Okay? Notice Boaz is also calling God to bless Ruth. So his application now, I'm going to apply for those courting, those single, and those married. For those courting, even, by the way, for those that are single, this is something to think about even before courtship. Do you pray for your future spouse? Do you pray for your future spouse? Because I'm drawing this application because Boaz is calling upon God to bless Ruth. In a sense, he's praying to God. He's calling upon God, invoking God to bless her. But do you pray for your future spouse, for those that are single, uh, those that are courting? And I don't just mean pray like, Lord God, uh, this person will grow to be a blessing towards me. But do you also pray that that person truly experience what? The spiritual blessing that comes from a deep relationship with God. Okay? Do do you get what I'm saying? It's a fine line, what I'm trying to say. Some of us could pray, Lord God, I pray, Lord, that my wife Nancy will bear the fruit of the Spirit. Because I get to enjoy her gentleness, kindness, and all of that, right? That could be... Sounds so godly, but that could also be sometimes driven by my motive first. Benefit. But you generally pray for them to spiritually be blessed by enjoying the Lord Himself first. For those who are single, do you pray for your future spouse? I think it is proper to pray for your future spouse. Okay. When I was a, uh, did a lot of campus ministry, I would always say, you pray for the guys four things. Jews, the way you remember it, right? For their job, for their education, wife, future wife, and spiritual life, okay? Uh, but priority is not in that order, okay? Priority is not that whatever is last shall be first, okay? Spiritual life first, okay? But I think it is proper to pray for future spouse. I think it's also to pray even right now that they experience the Lord spiritually blessing in a deep way of God. Pray for that. For those who are married, do you pray? For your current spouse. Not just for the quality of your relationship with them, but also for them to truly experience the deep spiritual blessings of God Himself. And if you struggle to pray with this way, if you struggle to even want to bless this person, pray to God also to show your heart and to change your heart. Okay? Uh, it should not be that you pray more when you're single, but when you're in a relationship, you pray less. When you're married, you already got your prize. You don't pray at all. Pray for God. And sometimes with some marriage problem, it begins there. Behind closed doors in your closet to pray for God, to bless that person first and then flowing from there. Okay? Uh, So bless the other person. Let's go to point number two. Uh, Point number two we're looking at is beware there will be obstacles um, in 
uh, marriage. Okay, so I know. Uh, okay, I'm gonna switch up the order. Uh, I know our second point. I think maybe it makes sense the third point uh, or comfort the other. Person. I'm gonna switch the order. I'm gonna actually look at beware there will be obstacles in pursuit of marriage first. Okay, so um, sorry I changed things without realizing. Uh, I should have said this earlier. So our second point now is going to be beware there will be obstacles in pursuit of marriage. And then the final point is comfort the other person. Okay? Uh, beware there will be obstacle in pursuit of marriage. This is based upon verse 12. It says, Now it is true, I am a close relative. However, there is a relative closer than I. Remember how earlier Boaz blessed her? But now he's going to say, You know what? There's something you need to know. Notice when it says the word now, He's not saying about time sequence. It's a Hebrew way of saying, okay, I'm going to give you new information. Mm-hmm. It's like, uh, have you ever hear people say, oh, you know, I have good news and bad news. Which one do you want first? Mm-hmm. Uh, give me the bad news first. Okay? Actually, he begins by blessing her first, then gives her the bad news, and then some good news. Okay? So in verses 12, he's going to tell her, okay, yeah, you, I know you want to marry me, but I need to let you know there's something that's beyond my control. There is an obstacle. We need to be beware of obstacle in the pursuit of marriage. Okay? One of the reasons why I really love Ruth is this. It shows us that, you know what? In a fallen world, relationships, and I don't mean just marriage stuff and courtship. Relationships is very difficult. Is Naomi an easy mother-in-law? No. Okay? Is, is, uh, is Ruth in a very difficult situation? Yes. Is... Is even Naomi in a difficult situation? Yes. If you put a little bit in her shoe, yeah, she is in a very difficult situation. Right? Um, is Boaz, is he extending, overextending his grace? Yes. Okay? So in light of all this, why I like the book of Ruth is, you don't see any supernatural miracle. You don't see Moses parting the Red Sea. You don't see people raised from the dead. It's like, oh, you know what? Dead, oh, so let's pray. To, maybe Jesus will raise them from the dead. Right? Yay! Oh, but yet you see everyday ordinary life like ours. And yet these are individuals who live out their faith. And even situ- put in difficult situations, it's even awkward. And here we see, one of the things I think we need to realize is even with courtship, beware there will be obstacles in pursuit of marriage. In this information, what he's giving, um, I read the NSB earlier, but let me read uh, my Hebrew translation is this. So now it is true that I am a kinsman redeemer. But however, there's a kinsman redeemer nearer than me. I translate this way because in English, NASB, verse 12 says close relative. But I think the, the word, well, I don't think, the Hebrew word is kinsman redeemer or redeemer. Does any of your version, instead of saying verse 12, close relative, says redeemer? Any version? Any, oh, what version is that? ESV says, okay, Redeemer. Okay, that's closer to the Hebrew, because the word there is Redeemer, not just close relative, okay? Any other version that anyone use? Amplified says kinsman or... says near kinsman. Near kinsman. Okay, good. Go ahead, Albert. Kinsman Redeemer. What version is NIV? Okay, NIV, okay? Good. This is one of those rare instances, I think uh, NASB, even though it's our preference, my preference, uh, NIV, ESV, Amplified, all of them does a better job, because it's not the word, it's not just close relative. It's actually that technical term, uh, kinsman redeemer. What does that word mean? Remember, if I could, by the way, there's an emphasis on that. Verse 12, how many times does it say? Twice, okay? Twice, there's an emphasis on that. There's also emphasis, well, the very first word redeemer, remember how I mentioned, like Hebrew, emphasis, they put that word first, even before the subject and verb, okay? So it appears first. So just a reminder, what this word means is this is an individual who might be a relative, a family member, who in that de- day and age, there's no welfare. When someone loses their spouse and have no kids and a widow, it's very hard to work the field, manage to feel all in yourself. It's also hard when you're older, who's going to take care of you? So often when some, a, a spouse dies early in that day and age, all the medical care that we have today, people die much earlier, younger. So then one of the relatives will marry that person. You know, um, maybe... Uh, a brother-in-law or, or, or cousin or that kind of thing. And then therefore would what? Take care of that person. Having that kid be married to them. Okay? So in light of this, this is the term. But notice what he's trying to say here. Is, it is true I am a kinsman redeemer. However, there's a relative closer than I. Remember how we said kinsman redeemer? It could be all these possibilities. But it's a question of who's the closest relations to that person. 
that, that passed away, okay? So what he's trying to say is this, is that, hey, I might be a kinsman redeemer, but I'm not the kinsman redeemer. I'm not the one that's the most closest to you to be able to do this. Okay? So notice, by the way, I love this, okay? So you cannot use roof uh, two to say, oh, or roof three to say, oh, you know what, Jimmy? I'm going against your whole rule of boundaries. Uh, I don't need the church. I don't need anybody. I'm going to just get married. And it's all about me, myself, and I, right? I'm going to be Bonnie and Clyde. No, that's not how it works. Mm. Notice, even in the darkness of the night, Boaz remembers what? Hey, we got to keep this relationship public. We can't be super hypersensitive. Notice he's even saying, okay, we got to do the right thing. Let's talk about social relationship. Let's talk about the fact that I might be a kinsman redeemer, but there's still someone more qualified. Okay, more qualified, more closer with this. Okay, this goes against our age because we're super individualistic today, are we not? We're super individualistic today, but here in the moment where it could be the most vulnerable, where he say no one sees anything, yet he's bringing everything, even in the speech to say this is not. I'm not going to leave this here, but I'm going to even talk about the public dimension also as well. What a man! What a man, okay? By the way, if he says this in verses 12, there's closer relative. Notice this whole phrase right now, did he ever say, I don't want to marry you? No. Which means what? I don't, I don't mean reading into this. He does, okay? I remember when I was uh, courting Nancy, or before I was courting Nancy, when I was getting interested, I will tell my sisters, do you remember this, Julie and Jeannie? I will say like, oh, you know, I'm interested in her. And then you guys would ask, especially Jeannie would say, well, just because you're interested doesn't mean she's interested in you. Right? And I'll say, yeah, that's true. Uh, but I think she might be because of A, B, or C. It's like, well, that's not conclusive, right? The, you know, it's not, a, you know, uh, it's all circumstantial evidence. I remember, I remember the first time, or the time when I finally sat, I, by the way, I, uh, yeah, just to say, maybe I'm sharing too much, uh, but, it's, I, but it's rated G, okay? I, I didn't know what to do, so I, back then I was not wise. I should have went to Mr. Bird, first thing, right? But I went to her brother. And said, what, I, what should I do? And he says, oh, wait a year. I said, oh, a year is a long time, okay? <laughs> Pastor Andrew sat me down. He sat down with all the guys. Hey, what's the status of all your relationship? DTR, all your relationship. And he says, you? Oh, maybe a year. Then we went over this book uh, about, uh, what's his name? Uh, the missionary, uh, William Carey. And then we got to the chapter on marriage. And you guys know I'm a preacher. I, you apply when it's hot, right? You strike the anvil when it's hot. Yeah. Then also says, hey, there's a godly wife. Look at her. She's, she died for Jesus Christ. Then I just said, out of my mouth, just, it was just because it's just too good not to preach an application home run, right? To say it now, and I don't know why it says, now you know I'm interested in you, right? And she said, yes. Then I remember thinking, whoa, I've never gotten to this point ever in my life before, right? Then I remember, yes. But then I hear my sister, Julian Jeannie, just because you, you're, she knows you're interested does not mean you're interested. I said, wait, 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 okay. Now I'm in a really difficult spot. Just because you know I'm interested, uh, wait, are you interested in me? And she said, Yes, we're like, why would I have this Bible study with you? In the middle of Sunday afternoon, in a bubble shop, right? Like, yeah, okay, but, yeah. Oh, it's like, he's giving you a thumbs up, okay? Praise the Lord, right? By the grace of God. Anyway, what, what I'm trying to bring it up with that is this. I don't even know how I got over there, okay? Let's go back on with this. There is obstacles with relationship, okay? He didn't say no. That's why I was going on. He did not say no, but he's also realizing that there are genuine obstacles. He didn't make this about his own feelings. He did things the proper way, okay? He did things the proper way where it's proper. Now, he might not necessarily be asking her father, because what? Her father is what? Passed away. Uh, or, or, or she's in another place. But, you know, like in terms of the, the dead father-in-law, because the father-in-law is gone, okay? But yet he still did the right thing in the public square, of seeking the permission of the village elders and also in terms of officiating legally with this man saying, hey, by the way, he's taking risks too. I think he wanted to marry her, but the reason why he did not make any move was he realized, wait, she's a widow. She might still be in mourning. And also as well, what else? There's this man that is also an obstacle, but he didn't see it as a competition. He said, well, let's do the right proper thing. Let's do the right proper thing. And there is the reality of obstacles in the pursuit of relationship. Can I say this real quick? Listen, we need to realize that pursuing relationship takes risk. I feel for the brothers. I feel for the single brothers here because it takes risk. And sometimes it might not work out. Okay? Uh, maybe my illustration is a little more military crass. I think there's no training for that kind of pain. Pursuing your shot down, okay? Um, if you were to ask me, okay, what I need to do to prepare for the Marine Corps boot camp, what do you say, Anthony? You can say push-ups, pull-ups, but how much could you really prepare, right? 
from being hazed and everything else. The way I, I say nowadays, it's almost like getting, for men, getting kicked in a certain spot. You can't train enough. Like, oh, every day I'm going to train the pain. I'm going to get kicked. It, it, that moment when you're still getting kicked, you're still going to hurt no matter how, how day it is, okay? What I'm trying to say is this. Uh, I'm keeping this G for godliness. But what I'm trying to say is this. There are obstacles. And it, it is risk. And it is painful, okay? Beware there is risk in this. But yet when we see this, here's this obstacle that is before them. We need to realize that, that there is this. Sometimes I think we, could, we need to be careful of not thinking, oh, just because I'm in a relationship. Oh, we arrived, and I'm going to definitely marry this person. There's still obstacles. Sometimes it still might not, things might not work out, okay? Um, might not work out here. And by the way, this other possible kinsman redeemer might be a closer cousin or brother to Elimelech, the, the dead uh, spouse. I want to go to application now for singles, courting, or those in courting, and those in marriage, okay? For those who are single, many times people picture a relationship that is picture perfect, but it isn't the case. Because why? We're all sinners. We live in a sinful world. We have obstacles towards marriage and court, uh, uh, not only in ourselves, because we all have sin within. We all have an enemy within called sin. But also in a sinful world, the dynamic of the relationship or other surrounding circumstance in a sinful, broken world might work against that, be obstacles. Secondly, for those that are single, what I mean by single is no relation, you're not in any courtship at all is guard your heart also. And don't think, just because you see a picture on social media, whether on Facebook, Instagram, or even news about celebrities, they look happy. That doesn't mean there's no obstacle in courtship and marriage, okay? Realize that. You know how I know that when you see a picture of a happy couple, that doesn't mean that's really the case? You know how I know that's the case? What do you guys think how I know? Someone's going to say, that's true because in your own life, right? Okay. But the other thing is, think about celebrities. True or not? People take pictures of them, and they're all smiling, dressing nice, and then what? Oh, six months later, they're not together. Or whatever, you, you know, year or two, it's like, and you think, oh, how could it be? Right? So just realize that. If, if that's true for celebrities, how much more so all others? You only see a window. So for singles, just be careful with that of thinking, oh, why is it God, you give me so much obstacle, and this person is in a relationship, and there's no obstacle. Everything is just, ours happy. There are, I don't know, vacationing, Bahamas, whatever else. That's not t- totally the whole story, okay? For those that are single. For those that are courting. For those that are courting. Realize not everything will go your way, okay? Realize not everything will go your way. Also remember, sometimes things not going your way is not an issue of sin with others, but the circumstance. Just like here, okay? The obstacle is not always necessary with sin. In this obstacle, is it because of Boaz's sin? No. Is it because of Ruth's sin? No. I mean, it, she's in this tight spot. But it's not because of this that they had the obstacle of who's a closer kinsman to Sometimes the obstacle is just a circumstance, okay? So even in terms of courting, I think sometimes that, that uh, could alleviate some difficulties when you realize, hey, you know, it's a circumstance. It's also beyond the control of myself and also beyond the control of what? My spouse, Okay. Listen, in courtship and in relationship, we have to really be really, really rational. And part of that also as well is we have to really be realistic of seeing what is that other person going through. And the, in terms of the d- dynamic, that's outside both of your control, okay? So realize that there are obstacles in, for courtship. Sometimes that means those obstacles means like, hey, this might not be the person right now uh, because of financial issue or whatever else. Not because of necessarily of sin. So realize that, okay? Or stations in life also as well, right? Sometimes in stations of life also. People move, they get accepted to different grad school, whatever else, that kind of thing, okay? Or occupation, you know, that kind of thing. Also, for those in marriage, I want to have application for those in marriage because the obstacles is the end in courtship. By the way, the obstacles is all there in different stages of life, Okay? When you're single, the obstacle is, how do I find somebody that is the one? And how do I initiate? And not really, all of those are obstacles. Those are very legitimate. I don't want to downplay that. that is, those are really big risks and obstacles. In courtship, is there an obstacle? Yeah, our sin nature now. Their sin nature. The sinful dynamic of relationship. Uh, then there's outside circumstance beyond your control. That's not necessarily sinful, right? Then, just because you're married, does that mean there's no more obstacles in the relationship? No. Then even more so, you're living with one another. You're seeing each other's sinfulness, right? Um, 
the, the, the dimple that you find so cute suddenly becomes so annoying. It's like, why are you giving me, uh, why are you trying to uh, give a smirk? So I'm not giving a smirk. This is what I have. So then you're, you're annoyed, that kind of thing, okay? There's all of that coming out, okay? So for those even in marriage, realize that's how much more you need to go to God continuously, dealing with your uh, obstacles, okay? Sometimes there's no answer for some of those things. No answers in the sense of removing those obstacles um, or barriers. But the point in all of that is God wants us to go to Him, okay? God wants us to go to Him first uh, in light of all of this, okay? This is why I love the book of Ruth. I think it's talking about real life. Real life. And we, sometimes we look at the Bible and say, man, I want to be in the Bible where God supernaturally, if my spouse dies, He could bring them up to the dead like Jesus Christ did. But then you see the book of Ruth. Everyday ordinary life. By the way, you see the miraculous during this time. You guys know that? That's in the yeah. book of Judges. But you see, just because there's miraculous things happening, even with the judges, does not necessarily mean what? There's a reciprocal good relationship with God in terms of spiritual closeness to God. Let's, like, you think of Gideon and Samson. Let's go to our third point now. Let's go to our third point, okay? If, uh, the, the second point is to set up with the third point. The second point, remember, is beware there will be obstacles in pursuit of marriage. The third obstacle is this. Comfort the other person. Comfort the other person. Look with me in verses 11. First part, it says, Now my daughter, do not fear. To situate where we are exegetically, verse 10, he, uh, Boaz gives his blessing. Verses 11, he gives his comfort to her. Uh, and then verses 12 onwards, well, verses 12 gives obstacle, and then later on we're going to see he makes some promises. Okay? But here in verses 11, he comforts her. By saying, now my daughter, do not fear. And now, like I said, just like the other Hebrew word earlier, it's the same one. It's not talking about temporally now. We translate this now. But it signals a shift. It signals a shift. It signals a shift from earlier saying, I bless you, to what? To now he's trying to comfort her. Do not fear. What a powerful phrase in the English. Three words, do not fear in the English. In Hebrew, just one word or two words. Boaz says, do not fear. Makes sense if we understand what? How scary it is for Ruth situation, okay? Put yourself in Ruth's shoe. You love your mother-in-law. She tells you, get dressed nicely. Well, bathe first, get dressed nicely, go in the middle of the night. And remember what we saw in the book of Judges, Judges 19. This is a time and age, if you're a woman, you don't want to be alone walking outside. You don't want to be alone even with a woman walking outside with a man. Because in Judges, do you remember what happened? When the crowd saw that Levite from Bethlehem uh, and, and with that and his wife, well, they took advantage of her and they killed her. This is a dangerous time. Now she's going to be walking at night, perfumed up and everything else, going to the threshing floor. Could easily people confuse her of a woman of ill repute, so to speak. Going over and thinking, what if she misunderstands me? That this is my side job. What if he also sees, oh, oh man, you're so ungodly, I'm going to reject you. I'm not going to be. Then that means there's what? The risk of so many risks, okay? So when you say do not fear, it's not just saying, okay, whether or not there is, oh, we'll be rejected. There's so much tied to this that it makes sense, okay? It makes sense that there's so much fear she has in carrying out Naomi's plan. There's a fear, no doubt, of shaking uh, uh, with her and saying, this is a big risk. What if he doesn't marry me? Who likes the risk of what? Being rejected and feeling embarrassed and feeling shame. There's also the risk, also economically. Remember earlier? These were widows. She has to be a widow going out there to collect food. Now she found this man who's able to give her 50, 60 pounds of food and still allows him to con- her con- to continue to go there. And now what if rejected, this makes the relationship very awkward, difficult, would she still be able to get food for her and her mother-in-law? Do you see the economic dimension here that's going on? And yet there's also as well, what? There's also the risk uh, of many things. Even after rejection, walking back is still very, what? Dangerous, yes? What if people mistaken her along the way for yeah. something else? This is a very, very difficult situation. This is why I say this is not a very wise plan of Naomi, but God's going to still redeem it, okay? This is not prescriptive to say, okay, this is the way you court somebody. Go open their windows, go into their bed, untie their shoes, and look at their feet. That's not what it's saying here, okay? This is not the way 
to uh, uh, court, okay? So here we see, when he says, do not fear, I can imagine, he knew her fear because what? I'm reading between the line here. You see all her expression, even in the middle of the night, and also what? She's probably shaking, okay? She's probably shaking. When he says, do not fear, I think there's a great deal of empathy that he has for her. There's a great deal of empathy moves around him deeply so much that one of the first thing he does after blessing her is to what? Comfort her. He didn't say, I'll marry you. He didn't say yes. He didn't say any of that first. He would deal with immediate, realizing she's shaking and say, hey, don't fear. And I think he's very sincere because for the second time, he says what? My daughter. He said in verse 10, and now again for the second time. This term of endearment, I think, is showing that he really does care for Ruth. Why he's comforting her is not just he's just being formal, being polite. Because I think he genuinely is sincere in his compassion and care for her. Okay. By the way, also notice the order. Uh, the comforting words comes first before the bad news. Okay. Uh, the bad news is in, uh, we saw earlier in verses 12. Remember that? The bad news that there's obstacle. Like, hey, maybe we can't get married because there is what? Um, another kinsman redeemer more qualified than I. But notice the order here. He puts the comfort first. And then the bad news, which I think it shows a priority that he genuinely does care for her. Comfort the other person. How does this apply? And this is the application for all of us here. We need to realize the pursuit of marriage is a big risk. True or not? Yeah. It's a big risk. For those that are married, you guys could think back a certain time in a different season. We can kind of laugh at it now, right? But when we're going through that, when, when, you know, my story, when the bubble shot, when I say now, you know I'm interested in you, are you interested in me? At that moment, I'm not like waiting, thinking, oh, maybe 15, whatever years from now, I'm going to laugh about it. No, it's just that moment, it's like, oh, right? It's going to be either a smile or a frown, everything goes down, right? Yeah. So realize, there is that risk. There's a big risk. Knowing this should make all parties involved more gracious and gentle one another, okay? With a man and woman courting, with us as a church, also as well. With even parents involved, with everyone else involved, we should be much more gracious with one another. Thinking about the big risk, right? By the way, remember, Ruth and Boaz, they don't live in our time. They live in a day and age where shame is a big thing, yes? Losing face is a big thing, okay? Uh, it's a shame that today's world in America, uh, sometimes people don't even know how to blush anymore. You have to blush for them, okay? But back then, this is a shame culture. This would have been incredibly strain for, straining for Ruth. So there's comfort, he says, do not fear, okay? So we must be gracious as a church. We must be gracious as brothers and sisters surrounding those in relationship, okay? The fear is also fear of shame and embarrassment. Yet in courtship, you want to be careful not to shame the other person. You want to mitigate that as much as possible. Okay? And also for us as brothers and sisters, how we talk about other relationship. I'm not saying I arrive. Sometimes I know when I love somebody. I, as a rule, as a pastor, I try not to make joke on other people's expense. Uh, I try to make it a joke on my expense. Sometimes I know. I'm, I'm just being confessing, just being honest. Sometimes when I do love people in a relationship, I really want it to be marriage uh, with that. But I'm saying here, I need to work on that. Right? And all of us as brothers and sisters too. You want to be careful. Also, if things don't work out, you want to minimize what you share to others about the other person. God doesn't tell us don't fear and just leaves us there. When God says don't fear, you know what's the biggest thing that helps us mitigate fear? Is actually His presence. How do we experience the presence of God? Two ways. One is this hold up your Bible. This helps us deal with fear. The second is prayer. Every single day. Yeah. I don't know about you. I'm not a guy that naturally just prays to God. I think that's more. I, I think I could easily read the Word of God more than pray. But you know, the time of my deepest prayer, you know when it happens? Is often after I read the Word of God. I could read the Word of God, I could be reading this and say, oh man, I need to go to God and pray for my church, 
for our brothers and sisters. Right. The best way, the best way to cultivate a prayer life is to read the Word of God. Yeah. You read the Word of God, oh, it points out sin. Oh man, I need to go to God on my sin. Um, and then I think, I'm so glad I went to the Word of God because if I'm just praying whatever I want, I could be self-centered. Praying things that I think is important. Until I read the Word of God, oh, man, I need to go before you first, God. I'm convicted. I need to be right with you. Who am I to talk about my sorrow, my situation? If I'm not right with you, and you're the most precious thing of all. So in, go to the presence of God to deal with fear. Go to the presence of God. Also, the role of Redeemer is to re- uh, uh, remove fear, okay? The role of our Redeemer, one part of it, is, that is our Jesus Christ, is to remove fear. Is to remove fear. Let that comfort you to realize that the Messiah comes from many things, to remove sins. But the other part is actually to remove our fear also. As well. So go to the Messiah. Go to Jesus Christ. Not just theoretically, oh, God in general. Go to specifically the member of the tri- Trinity to go to the Son Himself. You go to the Son Himself, whose face, very fearful circumstance, even up to death. Go to Him and go to comfort. And by the way, even in difficult things with relationship, you know what's the best way to comfort another person going through fear? You know what it is? It's to pray. Okay? It's to pray with the other person. If I could even just say one more thing I, I think I need to work on as a pastor, just being honest, is I think I need to make it where others pray also more. Because when I'm meeting up with people, oftentimes what is it? When I say, let's pray, I lie. What do I do? <laughs> I pray. Okay? And the other person pray. You know? yeah. If I could be honest, I have been, you know what? I love preaching. You guys know I love preaching? I love preaching so much, after Sunday, I go to another church at 3.30 and preach there also as well. Right? Go to Nepal, say 30 times preaching. Yeah, no problem. We preach there, okay? Whatever. I love preaching. But you know what I love more than preaching? It's actually to pray for the church. Yeah. The thing I love the most on Sunday is actually at 1 o'clock. The half hour of power when all of us pray, you know. I love to hear certain individuals pray. You know, two brothers, I love to hear them pray for me. You know who it is? I mean, there's many. I actually love my brother Jin praying for me. And I actually love my brother Eric. Their tone, praying for me. I, I, know, I know God hears my prayer too, but there's a sense that's ministered. So the best way sometimes to mitigate, to comfort someone going through their fear is what? Is to pray with them. Pray with your person. Just be generally saying, you know what? Not just thinking flower words from just gonna be, go really generally before God first. And I think that comforts them. Comfort. I know that's true in my own life. To Even comfort. If you're not there, pray for them. Yeah, pray for them, okay? God hears, okay? Even if you're not praying with them, pray uh, for them, okay? Pray for them in your closet. And sometimes I feel like when they're not there, I feel like God. They don't even hear my prayer. But Lord God, I need you even more to work in it. And I'm praying what? Longer. And, and more passionate also as well. So pray to comfort the other person. But ultimately, all of us need to do this. By the way, it's very hard to comfort someone for their fear if we ourselves are not going to God for our own comfort. True or not? True, true. Because then pretty soon they'll share and you get even more messed up, Right? Or some of us feel like it's too much to handle. I don't want to hear it anymore. I can't even handle my own mess. Why would I? So, but the reality is this. We need to still care. So how do we mitigate that? Is to make your own practice of going to the Messiah to deal with your fears. Turn with me real quick and ending for tonight, today. Turn with me to Isaiah 41. Turn with me to Isaiah 41, verses 13 to 14. Isaiah 41, verses 13 to 14. If you've been with us for Lighthouse, you would probably have heard me say this before many times, that the one book in the Bible that gives the most prophecies of the Messiah more than any other is the book of Isaiah. 66 chapters long, there's so much Messianic prophecy. In Isaiah chapter 41, verses 13 to 14, Josh, you look so eager, beaver, to read. Go ahead, read it out loud in big boy voice. This is such a beautiful prophecy here, okay? This is a prophecy that God will be our own Savior. Verses 13 begins with saying what? Do not fear. By the way, I haven't looked at this, but I've read many times. People say there's, you know how many times the word phrase, do not fear, appears in the, the whole Bible? It appears wow. 365 times. Okay? So, if you're anxious, 
Go to Bible Gateway and just each day look at one, okay, in the context and, and, and minister. If there really is 365, my count is like 50-something, but I, I need to look it up, okay? But so with that is look at that. Study that. How many times? Notice why you do not fear. And this verse says, I will help you. Could you imagine? Boaz is what? A master. He's going to help this lady, right? Even though she's a servant. You know what's even crazier than Boaz? is God. We should serve God. But God himself, who says he's Lord of Lords and King of Kings, is our helper, as it says. He will be our help. And you know what blows my mind away? If you're looking with me still in verses 14, you see the word Redeemer? That Hebrew word, term, Redeemer, is the same Hebrew word for Redeemer that we saw in Ruth chapter 3. That means he is our kinsman Redeemer. But you might say, Jimmy, Christ doesn't marry me. Well, maybe not you individually. But the corporate believers that he all redeemed, he calls his bride. True or not? He is our kinsman redeemer. He is our groom. He is the Lord of Lord and King of Kings, who we should serve, but he is our helper. And among the many titles, we must never forget the title of Savior. He redeemed us for marriage for us, not with a big dowry for our parents, not with a big wedding, though there is that, but redeemed us with what costs to make us His bride. What is His registration fee for His marriage certificate? The blood of Christ, His death, to save us from our sins. So this is why we don't have no fear, because He has said you are His. Not because we are perfect, because in the marriage, in the wedding, one day we will be wearing white garments. Not from our own intrinsic righteousness, but the, but the righteousness and the whiteness of Christ's righteousness imputed towards us. And when you think about your identity, that you are now His, that you are now a believer, that you are now saved, that He actually genuinely loves you. You cannot look at a, your circumstance in life says, uh, does He love me? He loves you now, right? Do not be like the little girl. He says, he loves me, he loves me not. Oh, there's a little flower. Oh, there's a, he says, no. do not play, right? Christian horoscopes. That's horrible. What you need to do is go to his word. How do you know he loves me? Is this, say this. I know he loves me. I know he loves me. Because he died for me. Because he died. He saved me. He saved me. Oh, stop there. So he saved me. So in light of all this, because he saved you, then you say, I could live my life today. I could love those that are difficult to love. I could love my spouse day in, day out, 24-7. I could, I could do all things to what? To Christ who strengthened me. I know we use that verse for basketball, for sports, but in the context, it's talking about doing the will of God, okay? We do this because of our lovely Savior who redeemed us and died for us, and our identity is comforted and founded in Christ. Let us close in a word of prayer.